Ben Horner joins us from Boston to discuss all things Chelsea, the founding of the Boston Blues Supporters Group, top four predictions, and Champions League final Chelsea team selection. We down here in the Rat Tail Bunker and Barbershop Studio, and this is the Boys and Bolos Podcast. Welcome back to the Boys and Bolos Podcast. Jarrett, we're down here. Week 37 has ended. It was quick. It was a quick turnaround from last, uh, last pod. It was only like two days ago, but here we are. Week 38, last week of the season. This is a crazy week, and we have a guest, and I'll introduce him soon. This is a crazy week because we recorded Monday night. It's Wednesday we're recording right at the end of week 37, and we may record Sunday night right after week 38 due to some commitments I have in the upcoming week. So it's totally an English week because we have three different events in one week, which is normally we try to do one a week. But tonight we have a Chelsea fan on all the way, super far away. You know, he's in Massachusetts. It's great. Ben, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you, Jarrett and Jeff, for, for having me on the pod. Super excited to be here. It's what a time to have a Chelsea fan, you know? Also, Ben, you're part of the Boston Chelsea group, supporters he's, group. Is yeah, that, he's uh, like sworn in in blood. Yeah, it's like there's a, a huge secret. Hierarchy. Yeah, it's like a secret society, like the Skulls situation. Uh, well, I mean, there's no cabal going on or anything like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I am the, the current club president of the Boston Blues, the official supporters club for uh, Greater Boston and Upper New England. Uh, I am also... The, the co-founder of the club back in its original form in 2010, uh, which is a story that uh, I don't know, we may get into later, but it, it, it's a good one that involves someone underage running around Boston trying to convince pub landlords to open up early when, you know, I'm not even old enough to drink. Let's start right there. In post-COVID times, we definitely want to start kind of similar to what you're talking about in 2010 when you were running around and saying, hey, you know what? Like, if you open up, I'm sure this is similar to the conversation. If you open up at 730, I can get 30 paying customers in here to have your English breakfast and probably each buy about two pints. You know, what is that? What does that look like for you revenue wise? And I feel like it's an easier conversation when you say we're going to do it 38 times throughout a year. It seems like an easy conversation. Moving forward with the pod post pandemic and we're in a different place, everyone's vaccinated, things are opened up. We are really excited to go out and go to the local pubs and do live streams, you know, talk to people before, do a halftime show, do a post game, throw it up on YouTube, really just continue to create content around the game that we all love. And I was super pumped when I came across the Chelsea football club, you know, the local club that you're the president of, because for the past five to six to seven actually closer to a decade i've really been out of the area and so i would go to a bar in dc that was actually over in arlington which was the chelsea club and the chelsea bar which was awesome and i was in new york living for a time and went to the chelsea bar also awesome legends football factory oh my gosh the most proper and i've seen many chelsea finals there i also saw the new england revolution lose there so Legends is an actual legendary place. I actually don't know how it fared through COVID, but I'm sure it's fine. Oh, they're fine. Like, oh, the yeah, New York Blues okay. are, are coming in, in in numbers every single week nowadays. They are they are quite all right. So what is so what is is there a Boston based Chelsea bar? Of course. Yeah, we uh, so we meet for uh, so it was obviously a little different in COVID, but uh, we are at the Banshee every single match. Um, if there is a Chelsea game on. You will find at least one more uh, blue shirt uh, at the pub when it's when it's going on. I mean, Ray and his staff down there, um, they do a phenomenal job. And, and I think it's important to note that, like, yes, it's the, it's the Chelsea pub, but it's the pub for football. In my opinion, it's the best it's the best football pub in in Boston. Right. And it's got like six or seven fairly sizable supporters clubs that meet out of there. In addition to, to us, the Boston Blues. You've got the, um, you know, the Celtic group, which has been around for pushing 25 years meeting up down there. You've got the Man City group uh, meeting up down there. That's going to make uh, Saturday the 29th quite fun. Uh, you got a group of West Ham guys that meet up down there. Wolverhampton, Everton down there as well. So, I mean, every single week you're, you're going to get that good banter and everything like that. The staff is is phenomenal. And and to their credit, they did everything that they that they needed to do and that they could do to keep, you know, to keep things operational and, and safe during the last year plus. And now that, uh, you know, things are looking better and, you know, fortunately for us here in Mass, things are looking a little better and, 
um, you know, those who are comfortable and, and vaccinated and, and now that restrictions are lifted are, are going to be more than welcome to join us back at the uh, back at the pub. Um, there's been there, there's been a whole host of faces that uh, that uh, I have not seen in quite some time down at the pub that I cannot wait to see uh, as as we start to get to be able to, to meet up again uh, down down at the Banshee. And, and really, guys, if uh, if you're going to start a tour uh, around Boston and the Boston football pubs, I really can't think of a better place to start than a place that's going to have four or five different matches on from 730 to 12 and uh, get a great cross-section of fans and, and a good bit of banter to start your day. I couldn't agree more. That's that great. sounds phenomenal. It's good, good info. That's, yeah. It's phenomenal info. Phenomenal info. Maybe he'll get a royalty one day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> well, we'll we, just, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll send my rider along after uh, after the recording. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You can you can drop an in. Yeah, I mean, Spurs Media Clear, is we, which is, I think, just a straight up, just a Spurs bar. but And they've been very similar, like following COVID protocol and, you know, been accommodating for Spurs fans when once they're they reopen. So one of the things that I miss most about the bar scene when you're seeing your team and there's all these other people on with your jersey and you literally all speak a very common language, even if you've never met before, because the D.C. bar that I would go to, and especially Legends, it's a very transient thing. New York and D.C. are very transient. People move in and out of there. So, like, you know, you look it up and you go was not only enjoying the win, but when your team loses, having other people to kind of feel like, oh, you know, before you get back on the subway or before you head home, because winning, obviously, you know, when you're winning, even with your when, I, when I'm just with Jeff or whatever. But when you lose, I don't know, there was this feeling of like, you're not the only one. The Chelsea community, whatever it's the Spurs community, the Man City community is, is global. These are global products and global communities. And yeah, so whenever COVID ends, we're really excited to to go out and so was the banshee the first place that you started and you went and you knocked and you said hey how do we make this happen no so we it started out that we went to lear um may lear uh you know serve in peace uh long as it gone on boylston street i don't know if you guys know that whole stretch is decimated um lear's gone unfortunately but we started at lear way back in like 2009 just me and a couple of other a uh, couple of other people meeting up for breakfast. Uh, we went up. They didn't open up for the early matches though. So then we tried Phoenix Landing, and we met there for a little while. And and LFC Boston is there, and they have staked that as their territory, you know, for for many years. And um, it was uh, you know it was pretty clear that that we needed to find a different space um, of our own, or at the very least, that wasn't sharing with uh, with LFC Boston and. Uh, we were lucky enough to, to find the Banshee. One of our members at the time uh, was uh, the head of uh, AO Boston and the Midnight Riders. Um, and he both he had both of those clubs meeting down at the Banshee fairly regularly. And he reached out to, to recommend that we that we chat with Ray, the owner down there. And, and we did. And, and uh, you know, he. I'll kind of remember uh, heading down there to, to, to meet him. And he was like, listen, you're not going to have any issue with me. Bring your group down. We'll love to have you. It's all fun and banter on the weekends anyways. So we've been there since 2010 and, uh, and, and the staff there could, could not be better, but you know, it, it's Jared, it's interesting. You mentioned like that, that bit about community and like the, the tran the transitory nature of, of New York and DC because Boston is, really similar in a lot of the same ways you think about how many colleges and how many people come to school come to greater boston to do you know doctoral work or post-grad work or whatever and that's who is the soccer fans in america right now right is, is people you know in in the late teens to 20s to and who now are starting to grow into you know 30s and 40s and and whatnot so we see that quite frequently with the boston blues you know we'll maintain a fairly consistent base of about 20 to 30 regulars but within that you know talking non-covid times of course and and no one really knows what the future is going to hold but you know in non-covid times we would have a base of 20 to 30 regulars and you'd get some rotation in and out every you know every year every two years some people would move in some so within that though there's still that community aspect right yes it's global but it's also still local right like I can go to any big city in the U.S. and I can look up the club 
And I can know that I'm going to have people to hang out with at the very least on match day. I know that, like you said, there's going to be like-minded people that I can talk to, that I can celebrate with, that I can commiserate with. And that's really powerful. And, and I think that's that all along is kind of like what we were just trying to do with the Boston Blues is, is be that, that point of community for Chelsea fans in Boston. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's kind of what we what we're we're really excited to get back to to doing in a in a more physical in person type way as opposed to just you know Zoom meetups or whatever it may be. Yeah, I even uh, like would admire you your your group uh, because like the the conversation and the and the chat on on Facebook and and what you guys how you guys kind of communicate is much more positive. It's I mean of course you're in a club that's. I'm I'm always comparing the Spurs, but our our club is very much more snarky and like self-deprecating, and your club is like very positive, and that's very like for me that's pretty refreshing. Uh, you love to see it. It seems like a lot. Like you guys have way more to celebrate. It seems like, but either way, it's uh I, I agree with you guys. It's well, it's. But I also think some of that is just mindset as well too, and and I think for me, I try not to take each, I try not to take each game too seriously now obviously there are games right now where that goes out the window we're in a run of you know six cup finals in six straight matches de facto between champions league final fa cup final and as important as the league matches are but like at the end of the day there are some people who support their team solely for the wins and the losses right solely for the the enjoyment the rush that they get out of the win and then they're crushed with with the disappointment more power to them to each their own for me, I support Chelsea because of everything that goes along with it. The, the friends I've made, the community that I've had, the laughs, the, you know, the jokes, whatever it may be, the enjoyment I get from working with the Boston Blues, like even that. So if we, if we lose, we lose. Like at the end of the day, Chelsea was almost relegated to the third tier within a lot of people's lifetimes. Like there is some perspective that I think newer fans are are privileged not to have and, and i do try and and make it so that i i keep a little bit of that perspective and and remember that at the end of the day it could all be a lot worse yeah. you know so losing it's not fun frank lampard getting the sack mid-season i was truly truly devastated but at the end of the day the supporters are are the constant at the club not any result and not any one person. Yeah, and to steal something from Barcelona, um, you know, more than more than a club, right? And I think that that's Chelsea embodies that. I think any of the big clubs in the world, the top thirty clubs, they should embody that. And when they get away from that, that's when they get in trouble. And we can talk about Spurs right now. I think Spurs will be fine without Harry Kane. I think they'll get enough money that they can go out and moneyball it and get two or three players that are actually going to fill out the lineup. And in the aggregate, they'll be better. And I feel the same way about Chelsea. You know, I think about the final without N'Golo Conte, and yeah, it would be way more difficult, but I still think we could probably win. Way more difficult. I see you rolling your eyes. Way more difficult. I'm thinking, I'm not rolling my eyes. What I'm thinking is the hinge point there is that Kovacic is 100% fit and ready to go 90. Yes, he's not, and, he's not hurt. He's not hurt. This is true. And, and what I think is, is doable there is Kovacic has a lot of the same kind of tireless work rate in the midfield. He can be that engine in a way that Jorginho isn't always able to be, right? Jorginho is not an engine. On his CV, there's no word that's no, an engine. No, Jorginho is the Vespa. Uh, if, yeah, if, he's if, about 60 cc's. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Max. Right. Like, um, on on he, the highway, he's in the breakdown. You know? Yeah, he can pick a pass, <laughs> but at, at you know, a, a nice casual, you know, nice casual, easy speed. Uh, I think it can happen. I think hopefully Angola was taken off on a, like a precautionary measure, but I also think that not for nothing, throwing a little bit of a tactical change at a team that you've already played three times this year is not necessarily the worst thing in the world. And, and I'll say this for, for Tuchel is he has tactically typically been very, very good. I think there are times where he's been naive. He's overlooked games and he's gotten his hand caught in the cookie jar as a result. Brighton comes to mind. Arsenal comes to mind where, you know, 
he was looking ahead to a different game in, in a way that was really a mistake. But when he deploys a, a, a tactical plan, the team tends to stick to it and it tends to succeed more often than not. So if he's got a full week to prepare, knowing what his squad is or might be and can prepare a couple of different game plans, and yeah, I'm with you 100%. There's every chance that Chelsea can can maybe not just hang with, but win this final. Do you hmm. think, talking if we're just looking, focusing straight on tactics, I don't see a way that they basically don't play a 3-5-2, something similar to that. Because that's what they've been playing. They've been playing three center backs, wing backs, two midfielders. Mason Mount kind of is somewhere between, you know, he's really then the link between the two forwards and the midfield, which will probably be Jorginho and Conte if they're both healthy. Do you think he goes outside of that? Because for me, it's like if it's not broke, don't fix it. And lately, we can't be scored upon unless they're a worldie or we make a mistake. Yeah. Worldie being Tillemans or a mistake being we're you know dicking around with it in the back and we give it up and somebody scores on us. So I'm kind of like, if that's working, bring it on, City. Like I'm not worried yeah. about what they have, honestly. Yeah, I, I think you're 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 nail on head there. I, I think our defense has has just been remarkably stout under Tuchel, and I think that starts with with the play of Mendy. Uh, I'll give Keppa some credit. He's played very, very well under Tuchel. You could put two Keppas in in the net, and they're not saving that Thielman strike. Credit where it's due. That was an absolute blinder. Uh, but what I think is is if it's not necessarily a three-five-two, what it will be is maybe a three-four-one-two, with Mason kind of just in a little bit more of a free-floating role, as you're saying. But I think one of the things that we're seeing is. That front three, front two, that front one, two, whatever it is, there's a lot of freedom of movement there to, to take up space that, that you find advantageous. And I actually, it was actually interesting to watch the game against Leicester because what I saw more of in that game than I had in, in the previous month or so was Werner coming back to get the ball and turning into space and then having runners ahead of him. That was a different tactical look than than we've perhaps seen, and that also might have been execution from certain players. But I, I think there's there's a lot of different variations of this set, and I don't think Tuchel has really scratched the surface of them yet. There is one thing that that I, is very true about this Chelsea team, and it's the fact that they can't score a ton of goals. And yeah. it's whether it's come down, it comes down to. It comes down to Werner not being able to uh, finish. It comes down to just Pulisic just not getting the direct kind of attacking you know style they likes to play. Uh, Leaving their two natural number nines on the bench and out of That's the squad. You know, Drew, Drew not playing. Yeah, Tammy so, Abraham not playing. Tammy, exactly, yeah. being left off the squad. In fact, like he wasn't even on the bench. I don't think last game. And I guess Lester, he, I believe he, he was. was. I saw well, him either dress, way, but either way, he was, on the, he, he was on the bench. On the bench. Yeah. He okay. wasn't going to get playing time. Either way, the, the I mean, it really, it, what it comes down to is Werner headed a ball in this, on literally oh the three-yard box into his hand oh to score. God. Like the guy just, it's, it's either he's having an unlucky season, he's just not there in the Premier League, I don't know, but they need to score, like they're, I don't know. There, there's there's a problem with that team when Jorginho is like the is like the top goal scorer in the team with Tommy Abraham, unless I'm wrong. Those are the, the those are the guys who scored yeah. the most goals. And I'm not are, saying you you guys need to have a 20 goal scorer. I'm not saying there needs to be a guy who has 20 goals, 10 assists. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it, there needs to be a guy who has. Who's not scoring all his goals on on penalty kicks? You know, yeah, it's, no it's, doubt about that. Uh, I mean, that's been that's been basically what we've been hungry for since Diego Costa, you know, threw through his tantrum and left. Right? Was was that striker who was gonna who was gonna bang you in twenty to twenty five without breaking a sweat? Um, I I'm not entirely sold that that's not Timo yet. Mm -hmm. It's his first year, and this also this year of all years is not necessarily the best gauge of it. Uh, no one is really fully fit, fully rested at any point this year. I think uh, playing in sterile environments, and I mean that in the literal and figurative sense, uh, literal of the COVID protocols and, and figurative of there was no fans in the building, right? And, and we've seen it over the last week or so. 
it definitely has an impact in the intensity and the drive and, and the players are saying it themselves. And I also want to point out that there are plenty of examples, not just at Chelsea, but in the Premier League on a broader scale that may struggle in that first year to adapt. And, and I don't think Timo was physically ready, like strength wise. I don't think he was prepared for how much he was going to get battered around, but I think he deserves the opportunity to, to, put on the muscle and, and put in the work and maybe come around. He's also contributed in, in a lot of other ways. He is comically snake bit. Like it is, it is just laughable at this point. He can get kicked in the box in the back of the leg and not get a penalty. Sure. But yeah, it, it, I think your, your point is a good one. They, they need to score goals and you look up and down the roster and you say, okay, who is going to score? Who's going to score? Who's going to score the big goal. And, and it actually has been a little bit of scoring by committee Hakeem Zayesh has a few, Wozniak has a few, Mount has has uh, six and a few assists, and it feels like he is one of the leading scorers. It it it's been a shared workload, and uh, long term, you're right, not viable. That's why I kind of hope that Tammy was going to stick around and become that player because I think he's got that potential. Um, but. Am I worried about who's going to be the 20 goal scorer right now? No, right now I'm just worried about putting in a defensive shift against Villa, putting in a defensive effort of all defensive efforts against City, and, and maybe hopefully getting out of the season with a little hardware and a top four finish. The, the transfer business is the transfer business, and uh, I'll worry about that when the final whistle ha has gone. But yeah, it, it, it's been the question all year, right? Where are the goals going to come from? I, I think it's more, for me, it's more just like you see Timo do all the work, right? And you see him do all the work. You see him get to the touchline. You see you see him, and but just like bottle it. Like, and I don't mean it, it's just, and I want him to succeed. I want him to succeed, right? You want him to come into the league and like score a bunch of goals. I'm not saying 20 goals. I'm just saying like put away the chances that you should put away. Like, the, that's it. That's it. About, that's all I'm asking. The thing about Timo, there's a couple things. One, the thing that Jeff brought up was absolutely shocking. Like, there needs to be a side-by-side -side picture, and then I have to explain one day to my unborn son how this happened. That the number nine on the team couldn't head a ball in when he's standing on the goal line without it hitting his hand. And then I'll show him a freeze frame of a goalie eight to 12 yards out at an angle who flicks it in. That is insane. Like, it's almost comical. But I will say that I think Timo stays, if he stays, and we don't pick basically a Holland or someone who's going to take his time, I think he scores 20-plus goals next season. And the reason why I say that is because normally when a forward is in super shitty form, you look at them and they literally physically look depressing. Timo's having fun. He's out there. He's smiling. He's still hustling. A lot of guys who are struggling, they don't even hustle anymore. So... I'm excited to see, and honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if Timo scores against Man City. The one thing I actually worry about Timo is not his confidence, it's not his ability to actually finish. The guy cannot stay on side. Oh, you took the words right out of my mouth. And there's a little bit to be said about leading the line, and like people in Zagi, somebody said, you know, he was born off sides as a joke because he was always on the last shoulder, just so he always had the most max amount of like advantage. Timo sometimes I'm like does he understand the offside rule he'll be running the line and he just can't figure it out and if he can just if he, if he even just went to the game and said okay Timo I'm going to focus on being onside and I'm going to focus on making vertical horizontal runs along the line and then making my run in he's so fast over 10 to 15 yards there are very few center backs that can keep up with him so I don't know why he does like he doesn't need to cheat he's not Chris Woods like he doesn't need to cheat yeah, I, I, for me, a lot of those offsides aren't even a matter of him cheating per se. It's it's him making a a, a run a half second early because he doesn't necessarily have the timing down with his teammates, or he's not working hard enough to get back. And through the second category that frustrates me the most, uh, it was a couple of uh, it, it was a couple of weeks ago. It might have been the Man City semifinal where he Jorginho picks it up just inside uh, halfway and drills it right to him and Timo takes it on the turn rounds the keeper and puts it in the net and it's waved off because he's clearly a step offside the frustration there for me is you know Jorginho can pick that pass with that first touch 
All he needs is to one and then ping it to you. So you should be as a striker knowing who, which of your teammates is getting ready to get onto the ball and get back on side. That is the thing that frustrates me more about Timo. That's like the one criticism that I have of him this year. My hope is that maybe with a full summer of training, you know, full squad training, some of that chemistry will start to pick up a little bit. You know, players might be a little bit more in sync. I think, you know, guys, if we zoom out, I think we don't even know the full scope of how COVID impacted this year from like really broad levels all the way down to the minutia, right? Like, don't forget, they weren't training together for the majority of the summer. They couldn't have full squads together until September, Yeah. right? So there's a, there's a lot of, there's still the, the, the betting in process for a new transfer this year was probably harder than it was in almost any other year. And, and I just try to keep that in mind when I assess uh, Timo also Kai who had COVID and, and is finally starting to come around in the second half of the year. So I think it's too early to write them off. Um, but definitely there's a lot of room for, for some improvements there. That is, that is for sure. I actually don't think that Werner like I criticize Warner because I just want him to finish, but he does contribute to the team in other ways. Obviously, he hustles super hard, super fast. He you also have, if you're a defender against Warner, you have to respect him. So he's pulling guys off the ball and leaving other guys open. So Warner's fine for me. Uh, Havertz had COVID. He's actually come around second half of the season. Ziyech is actually my biggest gripe with 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 Chelsea and the transfers because he just looks so unimpressive. Uh, he looks just not a player for the Premier League and that could change but he looks just he just doesn't look up to up to the level that he needs to be at in the Premier League he's he, he only has a left foot he's always looking to ping the ball around in his left foot he he gets muscle off the ball constantly he makes I don't know he's just and there's a there, there is a there's a reason why he doesn't start games and I think a lot of and Frank saw it and and now and now Tuchel seeing it um I, like sell him as a as at a loss Get him. He can go back to the Eredivisie or whatever he is. Eredivisie. Yeah, I always say that's it like that's a tough word for you. Tough, tough word for me. I love it. But I, Jared <laughs> and I talk about about ZH all the time. And ZH for me, I, I coach soccer at the college level for a couple of years, and I'm not a great coach. But I would break something down if there was a kid who dribbled a lot, right? I would say, okay, when you get the ball, you have three options: you can dribble, you can shoot, or you can pass. Most times, you probably shouldn't shoot because it's hard to score goals in soccer and shooting from 25 yards out not probably going to work you can dribble but you're going to get crunched real quick if you dribble in college soccer especially in the northeast because it's just like rugby with cleats essentially so your best option is to pass and you'll be most useful if you pass and then move into space and Ziyech does not move off the ball he'll give the ball and he just stays and sometimes yeah you should stay to stretch the defense to make an overload situation but when he gets the ball, Jeff is totally right. He always looks to hit a long pass, just a ping across the field, or he tries to shoot. And he's so, so predictable. Now, I'll step back from that and I'll say that in the FA Cup semi, he did that where he got the ball and he shot really quick and he scored a goal. So it does work at certain times. But like I said, when you have the option to shoot, pass, and dribble, you have to understand when you need to do that. And most times when he makes a pass, he doesn't follow the ball and then work to work off that like Mason Mount and Pulisic do excellently. Yeah. They cause so many problems for defenders. So for me, I don't really know. Do you think Ziyech, if you, if, you know, are you trying to offload Ziyech this summer? Because if I'm Chelsea, I'm trying to definitely put him on loan minimally. He needs to get more Premier League time and understand how this situation works. Yeah, it's an interesting one to think about because he's not exactly young. Right. I mean, he's not old, but he's not 22, 23. He's in his late 20s. Right. And, you know, my thing with Ziyech is, is I feel as though sometimes he is that one or two trick pony. Right. He's got a magic wand of a left foot. He can do whatever he wants with the ball. If he's got if he's got the time and space to do what he wants to do. But for me, he you know, a lot of the time He's giving up the ball cheaply in midfield, which makes it, you know, really tough. Uh, It's really, it's so hard because he's so enigmatic and, you know, you get frustrated, you get ready to write him off. And then he scores in each of the games against city, right? He he scores in the cup semifinal. He scores the the howitzer of a volley uh, at the Etihad. And, and, 
it's almost like you almost look at it and you're like, well, two and two against these guys. How can we not leave you? Uh, you know, how can we leave you out in Porto? And it's going to be an, it's going to be a selection headache for him. I, I think, I think you have to at least give him a second year. Uh, I, I've joked that at times that like, it, it's almost like we signed him off of YouTube compilations and that uh, the two matches against us in the group stage last year. Um, but I mean, that's it. That's I don't it. think you're going to get a whole lot back from him. You, you've, you've, pay, you've paid out the money. You've got the lone army subsidizing a, a lot of things on the other side of the book. So I, I think he's another one that, you know, if he gets another year, is that the worst thing in the world? Probably not. I also think that it's worth mentioning that I don't feel as though we're going to see another glut of Academy grads pushing through next year under Tuchel the way that we did a couple of years ago under the transfer ban. So he's not going to be fighting with youngsters for his place. I, I I'm fine with Hakeem having another year to, 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 to yeah. stick it My out. problem with it, with Chelsea, if I'm a, if I'm a Chelsea supporter is that, which you are now, which I am now, because you know, uh, that's just the way it is. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's that you, I guess my problem is that you thought you were going to get X amount of goals from Ziyech, right? You thought you're going to get X amount of goals from Ziyech, you're going to get X amount of goals from Pulisic, X amount of goals from uh, Werner. And you're not getting those goals, right? And so maybe you'll get more goals from 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 Timo, right? Maybe you'll get more goals from Havertz. But are you going to get anything more from, from Ziyech? Are you going to get anything more from him? Because he... that my, That's really my question. And if that's not the case, you need to bring somebody in that's going to get you get going to get you more goals because realistically defense is not the problem with your team right now and barring switch from where we were at the start of the year for which what, is crazy which is a crazy like, thing yeah. to say it's yeah. insane which it's is insane, insane that i thought that i truly thought that chelsea was going to be challenging for the uh, the the championship just based on the transfers that were coming in and that has not it's been the flip side right and so tuchel came in and just the defense is is the three back works for you guys. Zuma, Rudiger look fantastic. Um, Aspilicueta looks good. Look good. Like, Jorginho looks a lot better. It's the scoring. And, like, that's why Holland r- rumors have come into play because you guys need to score goals. And, like, all the other teams have a 20 goal scorer. And also, you guys we have a multi billionaire owner, and he's one right. of the best young strikers on the planet. So, of course, we're rumored to be in for, in yeah. for Holland. Who wouldn't be in for, I know. for Holland? You know, you raise a really good point, Jeff, and 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 Jared. I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on this. But when I look at Ziyech, I see I see him going one of two ways. I see him going either Yuri Zhirkov or Florian Maluda. And Maluda, remember, in that first year, he was really crap, like for for the better part of that entire first season. And then think about what a key piece of that Chelsea team he turned into in 0809, in 910. He and Ashley Cole ran the left side of the Premier League for the entire year when Chelsea was running riot to the title and the double. Is he going to go that route? Or is he going to go the route of the Yuri Zhirkov, who was a bit of a flashy signing, never really did all that much, had a, had a moment or two of brilliance, will always have that 30-yard blinder of a volley in Moscow in the Champions League group stage. But like that's really about it in terms of his impact at Chelsea. So I think when I look at Ziyech, that's what I see is him going either or either the Maluda way or, or more trending towards Yuri Zirkov's outcome at Chelsea. And, you know, I also don't think that that's too big of a miss. If you miss on, on Ziyech, it's not like you paid $90 million, $100 million for him. You paid a good penny for him, but number one, it's not our money. So I'm not necessarily all that concerned. <laughs> And number two, like sometimes you swing and you miss on transfers. And I would rather us take, you know, t- take a gamble on someone like that than splash out, you know, 120 million for, for, you know, Eden Hazard. <clears throat> that was yeah. Late stage Eden Hazard. Exactly yeah. right. So yeah. you're, I like I like what you're saying about the Dejura Jerkov and the Florent Maluda because 
For me, it's neither of those. He's he's more Florent Maluda. Just because Jerkov was a defender. He was an outside back, if I remember. And he was dubbed as the Russian Ronaldinho, and they tried to put him farther up the field. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't yeah, think that's he fair. ever... He never. So he was more of a defender. He, he was played more of in like, midfield for Chelsea, but he was a natural right, uh, natural back. You are correct. Yeah, there. they yeah. tried to do what they're trying to do with Reese James, um, but he was more of a Danny Alves in a four four two or a Marcelo or uh, uh, I can't think of the guy's name right now. Wow, but uh, you know, in a four four two, so when they're overloaded on one side, he can kind of sneak around the back and have some space to clip it in. But they would try to play him kind of like a wing back, like they're doing with Reese James, and he just wasn't Reese James. He wasn't quick enough, and he wasn't strong enough. So I think that, that didn't work. Florent Maluda came in, and I think he had a lot of other like people he got along with. He mm. was francophone, and we've always had a lot of francophone players. So I think he felt more at home. Ziyech comes in, comes from the Eredivisie, which is one of the weaker European leagues, and I actually see more of a connection between what happened with Quadrado when he came, mm, because you know, I was so excited when uh, he came. But he works in the Italian league where the game is slow and he can isolate and then take players on. Ziyech would kill in the Italian league, but that, this isn't the Italian league. That's the and third so, name that I was thinking of, and and it's so funny that that you that you brought him up. Yeah, yeah, because for me, it's more like a Quadrado. What happened with Quadrado? He came for six months. It was cute. I think he had like an assist, and then he left. Same thing with Falcao. There are certain types of players that just will not make it in the Premier League due to the pedigree and just the way that they play the game. It's not for everyone. Not saying that it's. You know, you have to play in the Premier League to play the best soccer, but I think it is the quickest and most technical of the game on the planet. And I don't think many people would argue with that. And Timo Werner is the best example. He scored goals for fun in the Bundesliga. He comes here and he, he's getting muscled off the ball. And more than anything, I I just think with Chelsea and Timo, I kind of, kind of want to go back to that. We don't have a 10. We don't have an obvious 10. So he's not getting these silver platter things. You know, he's getting the ball from the six or the eight, like Jorginho giving a 70-yard ball. It's harder to time than a De Bruyne who's going to turn the holding four or the six of the other team and slide you in a nice angled ball, 10-yard pass, and you just take one touch and you curl it around the, the goalie. So I'm interested to see what happens with Ziyech. My thing is not that Chelsea won't give him a chance. It's that we're going to out-transfer him. We're going to bring in somebody else, and I just think that there are other people ahead of him. Ironically, though, because he has scored against City, do you think he starts the final? Yeah, I do. I think every indication we've seen in, in Tuchel's team selection points towards Timo getting, getting the start. Timo was not an effective sub. We've seen that. He, 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 he doesn't really... As as it's it's ironic because of how like how mu how much of a, of a burst of speed he he has, but he, I always feel like when he comes on as a sub he has a really hard time getting involved in the game and he just kind of fades out. So I think if you want him involved he has to be involved from the start, and I think his a final, in in the biggest final in club football is something that you really, really don't want to have on your bench. You want it on the field, right? Like one slip, one mistake. So I think, look, I, I think, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of reasons why you could rationalize for, for Timo. But I think at the end of the day, yes, I think he's going to start because everything we've seen under Tuchel points to Timo being the first choice up front. And Ziyech starting as well. I think he's got a real, real good shout. I think because, he's got a real good shout because of how well he performed against City in the other two games. Because if he's playing Mason Mount in that nine-and-a-half role, sitting in front of Conte and Jorginho, and he plays Timo, I think Jeff would agree that Timo would start, right? Then, for me, he's got to play Pulisic on the other side. Because yeah. if he if he plays Ziyech over Pulisic, that to me is insanity. And I also just, I think one of the reasons why he likes playing these smaller, quicker guys is just because he likes to press We've we've recovered so many lost balls in their defensive third or in the middle third than we did in the beginning of the season, and that may actually just be the difference. Frank went with a different thing. Tommy Abrams doesn't scare defenders. Giroud is slow over ten yards, but when you have Timo, Pulisic, and Mason Mount, you can't have you can't be half stepping because you're going to get caught out and anything can happen. But I want to know what your prediction is for the final. Are we going to penalties again? Because that was really stressful. <laughs> I don't know if my heart can take it. Um, because 08, 
you know, 08 and 2012 pens oh, pens. Uh, and then 2019 league cup against city went to pens. Oh, geez. I say, well, of course I think we're going to win. Why would I say anything otherwise? Chelsea to win the 2020 champion, 2021 champions league. We'll edit that out. Chelsea to win the 2021 champions league. <laughs> Absolutely. Who else am I going to pick? Exactly. Well, there's only two options and it can't be the light blue guys. Um, what, what's your score prediction if you had to give one? Or you can say we're going to pens because I honestly think here's here's my thought. I was thinking about this on the drive over to the studio today. The studio, it sounds fancy. It's Jeff's basement. Um, <laughs> I think out of 100%, I, I'll give City 50%. I think 50% of the results, they win the game outright. 30% of the results, I think we win the game outright. And 20%, we go to overtime. And from there, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know who wins. But I think that City probably have, you flip a coin, they're going to get, you know, 50%, 30%. I think we beat them and 20% it goes to overtime. And I'm sure of those 20%, you know, you could say 10% it goes to overtime, 10% it goes to penalties, meaning that I think city are definitely the favorites, but that I think is definitely in our favor. Yeah. I, I think anything that comes down to us relying on our, on our defensive uh, foundation and as strong as it's been, uh, is something that bodes well for Chelsea. I'm going to say uh, 1-0 Chelsea, and it takes uh, 10 years off my life <laughs> in the final five minutes of the match. I'm going to go down to penalties. Chelsea wins on penalties just because Mendy's a better keeper. Shot stopper than Ederson. If, if it goes to penalties, I mean... Uh, I, I, Mendy's oh. a better shot stopper than Ederson, 100%. Oh, for sure. For, for sure. sure. But my question is, are they going to pull a Kroll like the way Holland did to Costa Rica in 2014. And are they going to bring in Keppa? Cause apparently he's the penalty God. Is it like a D2 Julie? The oh no, I don't think Keppa is ever going to be the quote unquote penalty God at Chelsea. Uh, I mean, again. he stayed on the field. He stayed I, on the field. Yeah. How'd that work for us? I think he had his chance to claim that title and, and he, he missed that opportunity. <laughs> oh, he did. He did. He did. Oh God. Still so, smart. all right. One, nothing, Jeff, you say penalties. I don't really, I don't even know. It's so hard. I just want us to win. I want us to win also because City shouldn't have even been in the fucking Champions League. Pardon my Spanish. So for them to win would be like a kind of an approving of what the Super League was, which is like the more money you have, the more titles you win. And I don't think that they should have been in any ways because of the financial fair play fiasco. So I'm hoping for many different things for the sanctity of football and as a Chelsea fan that we pull it out. Not saying that we're much better because we have a Russian billionaire. I'm just saying in you the guys, in you the guys context, did serve your, uh, your, your transfer ban though. We served our time. We did our time. You did our time. We did, did our, our civic duty to the world. Yeah. But anyways, let's look at the final week and we're only going to focus on games that matter. So we have Wolves, Manchester United. We're not going to focus on that, but we have Aston Villa, Chelsea. What do you think for this game? Ben, we're going to throw it to you. Yeah. I, I mean, everything I mean, everything in the season comes comes down to this in terms of the in terms of the Premier League. It's been made abundantly clear that Tuchel's primary directive was to get Chelsea back into the Champions League. Full stop. That must happen. Uh, and we have 90 minutes to do that. I, I think uh, we, have two, we, the, we have two avenues to do that. Two avenues two to avenues. do that, but let's. Uh, I, I'd rather. Uh, I'd, I'd rather, rather beat Aston Villa. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather. I'd rather focus on on that avenue first, uh, and not have to go on that backup route. I don't. I don't like our chances to do that twice in in uh, in my lifetime. To be quite honest, Villa is pesky. You know, they, they just beat. They just beat Tottenham today. They've got some young, exciting talent. Grealish, his his hairstyle annoys the crap out of me, but he's a great player. Uh, Ollie Watkins and Ben Rama are, are fun as well. I still think Chelsea will have have the depth. It's just a matter of whether they have the intestinal fortitude. Uh, and they showed a little bit of that. They dug deep uh, in our win over Leicester. I think they'll be able to display that again, and we'll come away with the three points in the Champions League spot. I will tell you why Chelsea will win. It took a Regulon own goal and a really bad, like defensive flub, for uh, on on Spurs' uh, part today to give Aston Villa that win. Because let me tell you something: they can shoot a lot. They can shoot a lot. They don't shoot a lot on goal. They 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 love to pepper the ball around the net, but it doesn't always hit on goal. Uh, 
Grealish back is definitely a pain in the ass, but Chelsea's quality will shine through in that game. You guys will win probably 2 nothing. Uh, but that reggae on own goal was a worldie, though. Didn't it was a worldie. You You're never going to do that if you try. That's what I said. To, I the said, second goal was crazy, too, because it was like they were trying to pass out the back, and they just basically bottled it, and they gave it away, and then and then Watkins just kind of like got in there and kind of you know duffed it in. It, it, so, in all honesty, that game should have been tied 1-1, and Spurs aren't very good. Like, Spurs are mid-table team at, like, upper mid-table team. They're not... Definitely not a top four team. So you guys will be fine. You guys will be f- more than fine. I will. Jeff, I'm hoping you guys. Let's win. go right to Spurs. Sure. Are you guys beating Leicester? No, no. It's going to be either a loss or a tie. There's no chance we can win that game because Leicester has something. Le- Leicester actually has a lot to play for that last game, and I think they're they're going to be way more hungry to uh to win that to win out and, and hungrier top than four. Spurs to get in the top six. <sighs> yeah, Spurs don't care. No, uh, the players that matter in that team. Uh, are all either leaving, like Bale, uh, Kane, uh, checked out like Son, or, I mean, those are the players that matter, and they can win them the game, and they don't care. It doesn't seem like they care much anymore. And, uh, you know, it doesn't seem like Ryan Mason really knows what to, what lineup to put out there because he's playing, I don't know, he's playing fucking Winks. So. Sure. Chelsea are going to get no favors from Spurs against Leicester. I am fully expecting Leicester <laughs> is going to win. Uh, which is why I really, really true, true, for, true. Chelsea yes. needs to take care of our business yes. and and just worry about what's happening on the on the pitch at Villa Park. Chelsea's exactly. the only team out of Chelsea, Liverpool, and Leicester who has their hands and their their destiny in their hands. Leicester and Liverpool could both win and still not get in, and just depending upon what happens and goal differential, like other weird things. So Chelsea just needs to win, and then we need to move on to the final. And that will be good. The other game of actual quasi-consequence, because if Leeds win and other things happen, other teams lose, they could get in. Leeds, West Brom. Ben, what do you think on that one? Yeah, I'm going to go with Leeds uh, wrapping up a really solid, respectable return season in the top flight with uh, a win over West Brom, who are just really, really limping to the end of their string here. And Sam, Big Sam has decided it's time for him to leave. He doesn't want to be bothered with the last match. They're all going to be playing for contracts and moves away elsewhere. Leeds look a fun team. I like Leeds in this one. Patrick Bamford probably going to get himself another goal too. Yeah, it, 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 when you have a billionaire owner, it, it makes a difference. It helps. It helps. It really helps. It really helps. should try it sometime. <laughs> you should try it. Yeah, you should try, should try it. You should try it sometime. Uh, the, other, the next game that is of consequence, definitely to Chelsea, is Liverpool Crystal Palace, and I'm going to take this game because historically it was Crystal Palace and Chelsea, but Crystal Palace had a lot to do with taking away Liverpool's title in, I think, 2014-2015 or 2013-2014. I'm getting those confused. 13-14. 13-14, when they tied at Crystal Palace 3-3, and that was when Luis Suarez was crying and said famously, you know, like, I think we just we just lost it. And so it, there is a team there in Palace that could be really annoying they have young as I think he's a shining talent, which I don't think he stays at Palace long, to be fair. I obviously will help Chelsea because the Liverpool loss. Chelsea's in the Champions League mathematically. So I'm going to go with a Liverpool upset here. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm going to go with a Crystal Palace upset just because the tie is like easy to say and a Liverpool wins probably what's going to happen. So I'm going to push a little bit against the grain and say, why not Crystal Palace? They could do it. It's also going to be, I think, Hodgson's last game in charge. So he's had a very long storied career as both a player and a coach. I think there's some history there. And I also don't think Liverpool, barring some Allison header, are really there. But our last guest we had on, Chris was saying, at the same time, when you see that header go in, you're like, this has got to be some destiny shit. Mm -hmm. Because what the hell? So I'm going to go with Crystal Palace winning that. I don't know if everyone else is in agreement, but that's I've said what I've said. I I, I wish I could have that uh, that same sort of optimism. Uh, I like where your head's at with the with the three three draw back in in 2014 at Selhurst. Uh, having watched Palace completely bottle it at the end to Arsenal earlier uh, earlier on Tuesday uh, or Wednesday, I should say. Uh, I just don't think that they have the quality or the mental strength to go against the Liverpool team. 
that really just rolled through Burnley, and and I think they're going to roll to another uh, another win here. And yet again, this is why Chelsea needs to take care of business. Facts, sure. facts. Uh, I think Vance... actually just one final call out on on that. Like, yes, it is Roy Hodgson's last game. I think the most interesting thing for Palace in in this is who's going to be the next manager. There's a lot of interesting names getting tipped Frank. from. From Frank's Eddie Howe to, to Frank Lampard, who has always been very, very close with uh, with Roy Hodgson. So it'd be interesting to watch that one over the summer. Man City Everton, Jeff, you want to take this one? And we don't. The only reason why we're mentioning this is because Everton, if they win, other things happen. They're they Europe. still have a chance to get into Europe, which would probably vindicate Ancelotti a bit, who I think is still one of the better coaches in the Prem. He just may not have the best tools in the shed. Yeah, I think a uh, uh, Everton win is much more important than City winning. Uh, I think Everton is going to be a little more hungry for that win. I don't know if they have it in them to even beat a academy a, city academy team. city team. There's going to U14 players. I literally team. don't think they have the squad to beat a, even like the bench players from City. And I know I, I City just they play so, they play football like better than. Any other team in the Premier League, it doesn't matter who they're playing against. They're, I I just can't pick against them. Uh, I don't want Everton to win, obviously. But, uh, I mean, I could see it being, you know, I could see it being a 1-1 tie. But uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go, I'm still going to go with City. I'm still going to go with City. 2-1. to one. Ben, the next game of consequence is West Ham-Southampton. Now, West Ham win this, they're in Europe. It's that simple. Yeah. They've lost their UCL road. But if they win this, they're in Europe. Do you think there's a way that they don't beat Southampton? I think they've got this one. They actually, uh, uh, West Ham, I was really impressed with the way that they fought back from from an early goal against against West Brom um, in the uh, in the directional derby. Um, and and I think David Moyes, uh, I got to give some begrudging respect. He's had a, a really, really good positive impact on that squad and he's got them playing really really well i, I think they're going to get the win uh i think southampton has got their eyes on their summer holidays already um i also think there's some players at southampton who are going to be you know kind of going through the motions trying to make sure they don't get hurt before their euros uh definitely going to take west ham to lock up uh will that be europa league the europa conference league I don't know which which spot that would be for them, but I think they'll uh, they'll have some European competition next year. It's crazy. Well, I think if they obviously if they win, they get Europa League, and that will keep some of the players there, which is important for them. Get them some cash to pay some players that they want to keep there, like Lingard, and then potentially bring in some new players. Which is, I mean, I think that's really the the big thing is like if you're going to compete uh, on. You know, compete in the Premier League, compete in Europa League. You need, you need a bunch of players. You need yeah. rotation, right? And so, they it doesn't have to be the flashiest players, right? They just need squad players. They that can just are, pick up James Ward Prowse. Yeah, he's to phenomenal. Get the, right to get them through those group league group uh, the group match stages. That like you know, obviously you're playing like Austrian farmers. Like you just need bodies to keep playing. And I don't know if some of the like bench West Ham players <laughs> can do that. But it's true. I mean, it's true. And that's what we were talk to, talking about earlier in the season is like, are West Ham able to compete at both fronts? I'm still not convinced that they are because their current squad cannot yeah. do that. They can't compete on two, a European front, a sp- maybe a Europa League front, but definitely not Champions League front and the Premier League. Right. And so it, talk about Europe all you want, but the clubs that do the best in Europe are the, are the clubs that have the most depth. Right. And so I don't it doesn't do you any good if you're going to go to Europe for a couple of games and then you fizzle out. You know, if you're like Leicester and like you get to the group state, like they they fell apart in Europe. Right. They fell apart in Europa League. I mean, they got they got beat by not great, not a great some not great teams. So, yeah, it, it's it's so it's such a it's such a double edged sword because you want the money. 
you want the the visibility, right? But also, do you really want to be flying to Japan Zapor for a Thursday night game and then coming back <laughs> for a Saturday afternoon where you're just going to get bruised and battered by West Brom? But well, not West Brom, not next year, that's for sure. Uh, but you're just going to get bruised and battered because we know that there's no off weeks in the Premier League, right? right. I think you're spot on, Jeff. Is they need to they would need to bulk out their squad a, a good amount. But you know what, actually. I would not be surprised to see them doing some cherry picking from Fulham. I would not be surprised to see them doing some cherry picking um, from, you know, eh, I don't really think that there's anyone worth picking on West Brom or Sheffield United, but you get the idea. I think they're going to sure. be actually a fairly attractive spot for, for, you know, that, that mid to, you know, up top half of the table player, but not necessarily the, you know, the star guys. Last game, and you guys can both weigh on. Uh, ben, I'll go to you first. Arsenal-Brighton. This is going to be a good game. This actually may be, other than the Chelsea-Leicester game, sorry, excuse me, other than the Tottenham-Leicester game, which I think will be better than maybe Jeff gives it credit for, Arsenal-Brighton, I think, is going to be actually the game to watch. I'm going to go with Brighton. My brother is a gooner, uh, so I'm never going to pick <laughs> Arsenal, just so I can always give him that little little tweak. And also, not for nothing, Brighton had a really nice win against Arsenal at some point within the last, I don't know if it was, I forget which season it was part of because my brain has just melded time altogether. But uh, they had a nice win at the Amex against them with uh, with like a late goal. Was that last it was, year? It was in the restart. It was uh, in the restart. Because well, that's when Mape hurt Leno. Yeah. Leno went off and there was like there were no fans. It was in one of those first games. That's and right. So Brighton beat them. Yeah. I well, mean Brighton beat Man U this year. Man City. No, they beat Man United. Man U, and okay. then they looked at it and then they gave Bruno a penalty and then Man U beat him. Sorry, they were gonna tie. Yeah. So this Brighton team also beat just Liverpool. beat Man City. Yes. So, I mean this Brighton team's not they just fun. beat City. They just beat yeah, City. Yeah. Look, I and think they, and they beat Liverpool. I, yeah. I, I like Brighton here. Why not? You know, they're again, I'm never going to pick Arsenal to win anything. <laughs> well, you're at the right place because neither are I. I want to see Bright. I think Brighton win this one. I think it's a close. I think it's by a goal. I don't know how it happens, but if knowing Arsenal Brighton, this- it'll be something comical and and just an absolute Benny Hill clown show of a goal because they haven't been able to score all year. If they if Arsenal loses, they're no Europe and. Arsenal That's actually could, better for them. Then they don't have to pay the fine and have their uh, compensation garnished by UEFA. Arsenal could finish if they lose things happening, right? Arsenal could finish 10th. Yeah, I mean, if Leeds win, if Leeds Arsenal win. lose. If Leeds win, which I think is very likely as we have as we pointed out. so They deserve it. They hustle their ass off. Fittest team in the Premier League. It's true. Oh, you're talking about Leeds. I thought you were talking so about Leeds. Arsenal. I thought oh, being, God, Arsenal is a funny. trash, dude. Arsenal's bad. Arsenal did beat Chelsea. Shock be, they, they, they Chelsea beat Chelsea. It's happened a lot, hasn't it? Yeah. Well, look, Chelsea lost that game because Tuchel had one eye on on Saturday, and Jorginho had no eyes on his passing target. Let's just leave oh, it at that. Oh no, I'm not even talking about that. I was thinking about the three one when we lost the beginning of the season when Saka had that miss hit that went in. Shaka scored a free kick, his first time ever, including practice, and I forget the other goal because I was so angry. But anyway, yeah, somehow Arsenal did the double over us, but they may finish 10th. But that's how that's how people want to know how competitive the Premier League. Here's how competitive a team that's getting relegated beat the team that's going to the Champions League final 5-2 within a couple months. And a team that's finishing 10th did a double over a team that's going to the Champions League final. That's how competitive the Premier League and that team's Chelsea. And on that note, Ben, thank you for joining us on the pod. And, Thank you so uh, much for having me. It was a it was a blast, guys, and uh, I hope to see you down at the Banshee sooner rather than later. And uh, if and if I come to the show. Banshee, if I come to the Banshee, you will be asked to leave. But if I wear <laughs> very neutral garb, like if I'm wearing what I'm wearing neutral, now, neutral, like a like what, like a just this. If I'm wearing like something like this, look like clothes. Like just clothes, no like Spurs gear. Don't show up gear. to the Banshee <laughs> no in the buff. Spurs. I'll oh, leave my Spurs. Spurs fan. If I'll no, leave my no Spurs. No shirt, no Spurs. Yeah, Sorry, I yeah. want the proof <laughs> to you. I didn't. I didn't have a Roy Keane tattoo on my back. Uh, no, you'd be listen, Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane. Everyone, uh, everyone is is welcome at the Banshee. Uh, you won't find many Spurs fans there on match day, but uh, no. you know, if you wanted to, if you wanted to come down with Jarrett for a match, we would there obviously welcome you. And obviously, I'd buy your first pint. Oh, you, if, you could, oh that's nice. You could wear Drogba. 
you could wear this one. I was going to say, you've got plenty to pick from there, huh? I know. Well, here's the thing. It's like if if Spurs aren't playing Chelsea, I'm I'm usually rooting for Chelsea. It's also because you're a a deep patriot and Christian Pulisic. That's true. That's one. Pennsylvania. That's true. Yeah. Well. America's finest. America's finest. Thank you, Ben, once again. And uh, ciao. Ciao. Thanks for listening to the Boys and Bolos podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Patreon, Twitch, at Boys and Bolos. If you'd like to be a guest, please reach out. You can hit us on any of the social media accounts that Jeff just mentioned, or email us directly at boysandbolos at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.